Yeah, good morning. It's great to have you with us today. We're going to come and we're going to spend some time now in the Bible. We're going to spend some time together exploring the Word of God as part of our new series that we started last week. It's a series that we've called Identity. And unsurprisingly, it's going to be focusing on our identity and specifically in terms of who we are when we come to put our faith and our trust in Jesus. The Bible says a lot about our identity in Christ. Um, but although we might know these truths in our heads, we sometimes might struggle to carry the truth of them in our hearts. And that's very much uh, a big part of the thinking behind this series, that we want to give ourselves that opportunity, that time and that space to think upon these truths, to, to dwell upon them and to trust in that God will take them and, and really root them deep in our hearts. And that we, we would then live uh, in, in the goodness of that, live in the fullness of that. If you weren't with us last week, can I encourage you to, to catch up on what I shared last week? Um, there's a, a, you know, hopefully there's a helpful overview of the thinking behind this series, where it's come from, what we're hoping that will come from it. But we also spent some time thinking about the first of these truths, about our identity. And we did that by looking at um, Paul's letter to the Colossian church. We looked at a few verses there, and that's actually going to be our starting point for this morning as well. And so we're going to be in Colossians chapter one, and we're going to read just from verse 13 to 14. And this is what Paul says about the people, uh, about those who are in Christ. He says that he, speaking of God, he says that he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And our focus last week was on the second part of that because the truth we were looking at was that in Jesus all of our all of our sins have been forgiven and I said last week that actually we were going to come back to these verses and we were going to consider a bit more what this word redemption means and we're going to jump straight to it because the second truth that we are going to be focusing on about who we are in Jesus is this is that in Jesus we are redeemed now, that word redeemed or, or redemption might be one of those words that we might consider to be in that, that box of religious words where we're not quite sure how to explain it or, or quite how to, to define it. But I do think that actually a lot of us will have an understanding of redemption um, because it's something that we would encounter in our day to day lives. We might redeem vouchers at a supermarket where we hand them over and we exchange them in order to have something back. We could talk about someone having redeemed themselves where they've been able to make up for or make amends for for past mistakes or we could even speak of people having redeeming qualities or redeeming features where there are good things about them that uh, that kind of cover any perceived weaknesses that they have or counter any perceived weaknesses that they have and so this idea all of these things actually are helpful when it comes to thinking about redemption and understanding what redemption is but if we wanted a definition to start with, kind of our starting point for this morning, if you like, I would say this is that redemption is uh, to be freed by ransom or to be another way of looking at it. We could say that it's to be released by payment. So there's an exchange that takes place, a price that is paid in order for freedom to come. Now, sometimes when I come to speak, it's fairly clear to know where to start. It's fairly clear to know what approach to take. But this week when Pete 
uh, Pete messaged me in the week asking how I was getting on with my preparation uh, for this morning. And I said, to be honest, I said, it's really slow because I just don't know where to start because this whole idea, this whole truth of redemption is vast. It's huge. And I don't quite know where to begin. What do you include? What do you take out? Where do you go with it? There's a book called Echoes of Exodus. It's written by um, Alistair Roberts and Andrew Wilson. And it's called Echoes of Exodus, but it's also got the subtitle Tracing Themes of Redemption Through Scripture. And what the book unpacks and and what the uh, name would suggest is that actually this whole idea of redemption, this truth of redemption runs right throughout Scripture. It's not just isolated to what Paul is writing to this particular church at this particular time. It's something that runs right throughout. And their starting point in the book is to see that actually the story of the Exodus is a story of redemption. And this is what Paul would have had in mind. He would have had the the, the Exodus in his mind when he was writing about redemption. And so the plan for this morning is that we're going to think a bit about the Exodus story. And then from that, we're going to come back to Paul's words to understand redemption in light of Jesus. And so the Exodus story starts with God's people the Israelites in the land of Egypt. They'd gone into Egypt at a time of famine. And when they were there, they'd received care. They were looked after. Uh, they they had food and, and shelter and everything that they needed. And as time goes on, they grow in number. They're really prospering. Uh, they're, they're thriving as a people. But then a new Pharaoh comes into power and he's threatened by God's people. He's threatened by the Israelites. And he decides that they're going to put them to work, that they're going to be working for Egypt. They're going to be doing all the work that they need them to do. And gradually, just this level of oppression ramps up and ramps up until it gets to a point where the Israelites are totally enslaved by the Egyptians. Whatever freedom they had known had been totally taken from them. They were now serving Pharaoh. They were serving the nation of Egypt. And in the midst of that, the people cry out, to God and God hears their cries and he calls Moses to go to Egypt and to deliver his people to bring his people out of slavery and into freedom in Exodus 6 verse 6 God says that he's to go to the people and to say this he says say therefore to the people of Israel I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgments. And so here we see this promise God is going to deliver the people out of slavery and we see and he will redeem them. We see redemption, this idea of redemption coming through at this very early stage. And so Moses goes to goes to Pharaoh. This is a different Pharaoh now, the one who had originally enslaved the people, but he goes to Pharaoh and he says that God says you are to let my people go. Pharaoh refuses. And so God turns the the Nile to blood. It's the first of the plagues. Moses goes back to Pharaoh. God says, let my people go. And still he refuses. Another plague comes. This happens until 10 plagues occur. And eventually Pharaoh relents and he, he says that the people can go. He gives in. He says, this is enough. This is enough. Kind of, this is the limit of it. You can go. And so Moses leads the people. It's kind of a brief brief overview, but Moses leads the people into the wilderness and then onto the promised land. 
You see, the Israelites were delivered from slavery. They were taken out of slavery, but they were also redeemed. The reason why I say that they were redeemed, this is what God has said would happen, because they have been ransomed from slavery by God himself. They had experienced redemption. But escape from Egypt really is only half the story. We can maybe look at it as the whole story, but it's only part of, maybe half of the story. I wonder what comes to mind when you think of freedom. What does it mean to experience freedom or to be free? I think a way that many of us would think in this day and age, and particularly in the place where we live, is that freedom is about being free from constraint. It's about being free from oppression, not having um, just being totally released or taken out from that. It's about what we've been saved from or what we've been freed from. But actually, when we look at the, the, the nation of Israel, as we look at God's people, what we see is that they weren't only saved from something. They were also saved for something. And this is really important for us to understand when we're thinking about redemption. They had freedom from serving Pharaoh and now also experienced freedom to serve God. They had freedom from serving the old master, but also freedom to serve the new master. And this is really uh, what in in the book Echoes of Exodus, this is a, a point that they really take hold of and really stress is that throughout the scriptures, there is more emphasis on freedom for as opposed to freedom from. They say this in the book, they say that it's easy for us to forget that in an age where freedom is understood as merely being freedom from, whether from oppression, from constraint or whatever, this aspect of liberation, as wonderful as it is, is only half the deal. In the scriptures, more emphasis more emphasis is placed on, on the freedom for, for worship, for flourishing, for growth in obedience and joy and glory. Human beings are not designed to be free from all constraint, slaves to nothing but our own passions, triumphantly enthroned as our own masters, even of even our own gods, because everybody serves somebody. So the point of the Exodus is not just for Israel to find deliverance from serving the old master. It is for them to find delight in serving the new one. So they've been freed from something, but also freed for Something and if we fast forward the Exodus story, we find God. Uh, we find God giving the Ten Commandments to Moses to be delivered to the people. This is the the the, the plan of what life lived for God looks like. This is kind of the, the framework within which you are to live lives that would be pleasing to God. And we find in Exodus twenty verse two to three. This is the very first commandment that God gives. God says, "I am the Lord your God." Who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, you shall have no other gods before me. So we see God has delivered the people out of Egypt. He's delivered them out of slavery, taken them out of that in order that they would then be free to serve God, that they would have no other gods before him. So we see, again, this emphasis coming through, freed from, in order to be free for or free to serve God. And the rest of the commandments that come, they they set the shape and and nature or rather they, uh, yeah, they, they set the shape and nature of a life lived for God. This is what a life lived for God really looks like. And so the people of Israel were free to serve God. They were free 
to live for God. Yet it took 40 years of wandering until they reached the promised land. Because while they were free to serve God, actually this time of wandering was characterised by serving self rather than serving God. They were wandering physically in the desert because their hearts were wandering. The object of their affection, the object of their worship wasn't always God. It was on other things, turned on other things. Even time spent complaining and and longing to be back in Egypt, wanting to be back in the place where they were, where they'd originally been crying for God to take them out of. And yet at times they found themselves wanting to be back. And again, kind of coming out of the, the echoes of Exodus book, they make this point that while the Israelites were free in terms of they had been physically, uh, bodily uh, brought out of, of slavery, the truth is that true slavery is captivity of the soul, not just of the body. And with that, at, that, at this point, we'll head back to the truth that Paul shared with the Colossian church. Let's read it again. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And we focused last week on this whole thing of forgiveness of sins, of what it is that Jesus came to do, why he came, how he how he accomplished forgiveness of sins and what that means for us now. And we, we saw that Jesus uh, through the cross has made a way in which our sins can be forgiven and we can know forgiveness of sins. But in Matthew 20, 28, Jesus said this of himself. He said that he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We've got that word ransom coming back up again. So we hear that we should be thinking redemption. This is a redemption story, what Jesus has done. You see on the cross, Jesus paid the price owed by us And in doing so, he offers redemption to all those who trust him and live with him as king of their lives. God delivered Israel out of Egypt and into the promised land. But Paul tells us that in Jesus, we've been delivered from where we once dwelt. We've been delivered from that place out of that old kingdom. And we've been we've been delivered. We've been transferred. We've been moved into his kingdom. We've been transferred from one kingdom to another. Where we once used to live is not where we live anymore. We're we're residents of of a new place, of a new kingdom, which means we have a new king who we are now free to serve. Paul also wrote a letter to a church in Rome. and, And in there, he illustrates the same point, but he does it this time by describing us as slaves transferred from one master to another. Now, this concept of, of slavery would have been not, not an alien concept to, to, to the church in Rome. You know, it's very much a part of uh, slavery was very much a part of, of the culture uh, of, of the time in which they lived. So they would have understood what Paul was talking about. And they also would have understood redemption in as much that a slave could be redeemed by someone paying for them to be free. So they would have really understood this illustration, this language that Paul was using but we've also remember we've got the exodus in view again as as God's people were brought out of slavery delivered out of slavery and so Paul picks up on this picture he says this from verse in chapter 6 and verse 15 he says what then are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace by no means 
Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness, but what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Paul makes this point, says that in Christ you are no longer slaves to sin. You're dead to it. It no longer has power to keep hold of you. You're free of it. In Jesus, you are free from the guilt of sin. That's gone. It's been taken. He's dealt with it. We're free from it in the sense that there's there's been an immediate change in our identity. This is what we were looking at again last week. That when we come to put our faith and trust in Jesus, we immediately receive forgiveness of sins. There's something that's changed in who we are. In our identity, there's something fundamental that's changed about us. And this is what Paul is saying again here. There's something that's changed in terms of your identity. You're, you're free from sin and you're free from sin now. You're no longer a slave to that way of thinking. You're no longer a slave to that way of, of living, to that way of behaving. Your identity has changed. Your nature has changed. So we're free from it in the sense of, of uh, that, that, that initial uh, that initial freedom, but but we've also been freed from a sinful way of life. So we're freed from the guilt of it, but we're also freed from a sinful way of life. So we've got that initial releasing. You're no longer a slave to sin. You've been released from it. It's something that happens initially and immediately, but there's also ongoing freedom that is to be lived out as well. We're no longer slaves to sin, but instead your slaves to righteousness. Now that might not seem or sound like freedom to us. Hang on a minute. You're saying that we're no longer slaves. We've been freed from slavery, but now you're saying I'm a slave to something else. You might think that doesn't sound like freedom because we're still talking about being a slave to something. That doesn't sound like freedom. Jesus said this in John 8, 34 to 35. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you that everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. That's a promise Jesus has made that in him there is freedom to be found. And it's not a partial freedom. It's not a a limited freedom or for a time only freedom. Those who sets free will be free indeed. They will be free totally and completely. So we have Jesus' words this promise which is true, and yet that fits with what Paul is saying here as well, because to be a slave to righteousness is to experience the freedom that Jesus has promised in the here and in the now. 
remember what we've said already, and we're just going to come back and touch on this. That in redemption, we have been, we have freedom from something, but we also have freedom for something. You see, Israel was set free from, from one master in order that they might then serve another. And in redemption, if, if you're going to take one thing from this morning to, to, to take hold of and to think upon uh, and to live in the good of is this. When we're thinking about redemption, we're saying that in Jesus, God has set us free from slavery, not so that we serve nobody at all, but so that we might serve God. Again, coming back to the, the Echoes of Exodus book, you might tell it's been a, a really helpful book for me wholeheartedly recommended it recommend it i'm looking forward to spending more time in there but in there they really stress this point and they make this point very clearly that service to nobody it's not an option we all end up serving somebody why because we're all worshipers we were all all made to worship that is the way that god made us and it's good and it's right we were made to worship him we were made to be worshipers but sometimes our worship gets misplaced, focused on the wrong things or on the wrong people. And the reality is, is that everyone will worship something. Everyone will serve something. Serving nobody is not an option. We'll all end up serving somebody. But for those living for Jesus, to be a slave to righteousness, it's not an aspiration. It's not something to be achieved it's not something to work towards if I just keep working harder at it if I just keep moving in the right direction then somehow I'll get there in the end and then I can really be, be classed as or I can call myself a slave to righteousness it's something that I need to get to a point that I need to get to it's not that it's not an aspiration it's actually a truth of who you now are when you're founding in Christ it's not a choice that you have to make but it's a transfer that's already been made and it's a transfer that's been made on our behalf. We'll all experience temptation. We will. Even as slaves of righteousness, we'll all face temptation. And the reality is we'll all sin. We will. But we can now be ruthless with it. Our nature has changed. We're not owned by sin anymore. We're not powerless to sin anymore. So actually, just as the call for slaves not to return to their old master, when we're thinking about being, being slaves to righteousness rather than being slaves to sin, let me urge you, don't return to your old master when you are now free to serve your new one. Focus on what we, we were thinking about last week in terms of how we deal with sin. We're to be those that, that bring it quickly to God, knowing that he is, he is quick to forgive. He is faithful to forgive. Knowing that we, we don't go, if we remember that, that picture from last week of, of the prodigal son, we don't find ourselves going from back to the pigsty and then back to the father's arms, back to the pigsty, back to the father's arms. We remain totally in the father's arms and it's in that place that we can uh, that, that we can find forgiveness of sins it's in that place that we find uh, that, that, that we that we can confess and, and repent and find forgiveness there don't return to your old master when you are now free to serve your new one freedom we have freedom not just to avoid 
sin. But as Fillmore puts it, he says that Paul urges us to accept our new status as slaves of righteousness so we can begin to enjoy the fruit of our salvation. Let me say that again. Paul urges us to accept our new status as slaves of righteousness so we can begin to enjoy the fruit of our salvation. What he's saying here is give yourselves wholeheartedly to God. Give yourselves wholeheartedly to God in, in obedience. Seeking righteousness, seeking to live the, the way that God has called us to live. Seeking to live lives of, of obedience to him and allow him to work in you and make you even more and increasingly more like Jesus. Give yourself wholeheartedly to God. Give yourself wholeheartedly to the work of the kingdom and see what God will do in you. Don't give yourselves back to the old master. Give yourselves wholeheartedly to serve him, God. Just very quickly, I want to say last week we were, when we were thinking about the need for forgiveness of sins, we were saying that all of us have sinned and the wages of sin is death. We've just read that in those verses in Romans. It says that the wages of sin is death. Essentially, that's what sin earns you. That is the price that is to be paid. That is what you have earned through it. But in contrast, eternal life is not earned by our righteousness. It's not a pay packet that we receive for having lived well enough or having done a good enough job or having stayed close enough to God or having lived a righteous enough life. It's not eternal life isn't something to be received when we've reached a certain level or a certain point where we can cash in our righteousness for eternal life. No, eternal life is a free gift of God. It's not something that we've earned. Actually, it's the complete opposite of that. It's the opposite of what we deserve. And it's from that place where in Christ we've been given the free gift of eternal life. It's from that place where actually we are now free to live for him. We are now free to live as slaves, not to sin, but as slaves to righteousness, where we can be ruthless with sin, where we can declare that it has no power or no hold over us, but where we know that actually in those moments where we do sin, we can come straight back to God and we can confess it before him and we can receive forgiveness. But we want to be those who give ourselves wholeheartedly to God in obedience, live in his way because we know that his way is the very best way to live. Gonna, there's much more that I could say. I need to draw it to a close now just feel like I feel like I've barely skimmed the surface of this and it may well have raised questions for you I'd be so happy to to chat with you if you want to talk about any of this more or maybe you want some prayer about anything that I've shared today please do get in touch with me uh, or you know your, your growth group leader or whoever it may be if you're watching this today and uh, you, you're not um, you, you haven't been to to our church or, or you know that you're someone who you've not made that that decision yet you've not made that commitment to to live with Jesus as king of your life you might find actually you've got questions coming out of what I've shared and you want to talk about it more can I encourage you as I did last week uh, speak with someone that you know that is following Jesus or by all means please do get in touch with us we would love to have a chance to to talk with you um, reach out to us through our contact us page we'll get back to you if you're watching this on YouTube now watching it as we're pre uh, on, on the premiere put something in the chat box just let us know that you you want to want to have a chat with someone and talk things through and we'll find a way of connecting with you uh, but today would be a great day uh, 
to do that. But I just want to say this in closing. The second truth of who we are in Christ is this, is that in Jesus, we are redeemed. We've been bought at a price. In him, we have freedom from sin, but also freedom for worship, for flourishing, for growth in obedience and joy and glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that redemption is very much on your heart. Lord, we see it throughout history. We see it throughout scripture. We see it in the Exodus story and right the way through as that is a foreshadowing of what was to come in Jesus. We thank you that you are a God who redeems and we thank you that you've made a way through Jesus, that we can know forgiveness of sins, but we can know redemption, that we can know that we've been freed from uh, uh, an old way of living from uh, the, from the old kingdom, the old place which we once lived and you've delivered us into a new kingdom, freedom from sin, but also freedom to live for you. We say, Holy Spirit, would you help us to live lives of, of obedience to you? Help us to live lives of righteousness, Lord Jesus, where we are living in within the very best that you have for us. Help us to do that. Holy Spirit, we recognise our need for your help to be able to do that. We just ask you afresh today. Would you help us to live as slaves of righteousness in the absolute freedom that Jesus has won for us? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.